I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Here we are, Megan. Here we are, episode three, healthcare. And I've got to say, I've been thinking about our tagline and calling The Office the great American story. And the more I watch it, the more I think, yeah, that's legit. That is what this is. <laughs> What's made you feel that way? When we talk about it, I just find that I keep leaving, like I know it. it's helping me to notice more things and I keep leaving thinking about it and becoming more impressed by the show as I do that, just how much is going on. And I think how much it really is saying about America. Like, I feel like when people use that line to say something is like the great American novel, it's like, this says something about the country. And I feel like the office is doing that. I, I'm in like complete agreement. Well, because, okay. So you like wrote that as the tagline for the podcast. And I was like, like, all right, sure. (laughs) Like, okay, not sure if that's accurate, but I was like, all right, you know, and, uh, but my, I was like, is that too ambitious? Are we allowed to, are we allowed to say that? You know, I mean, I do feel like that's one of my failings as an academic. I'm always like, am I allowed to have an opinion about this? You know, can I make a big claim or whatever? And, uh, but I love that you said it and, and yeah, now I'm finding myself like, I can't not think about how, um, how this show is saying something or at least representing something significant about American culture, society, I mean, capitalism, like this episode. Yeah. I was like, this is pretty brilliant um, in terms of what it might be saying. And, uh, but I keep thinking about, okay, so did you watch, um, what's his face? Did you watch that Bo Burnham special Inside? uh, No, and people have mentioned this to me and I keep writing it down and then forgetting to ever watch it. I wonder if you would like it. Do you like m- comedy in the form of singing? Oh. <laughs> you know, because I'd say, like, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Right. Just like comedy. just like Jen. I don't like breaking into song. Um, you mean in your I own life? Love, no, I mean, well, I'll occasionally break into song. I, I don't like song being broken into within, like, a show or a movie. Right. Or maybe I love stand-up comedy. So I, I enjoyed that. I don't know. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to try it out. I need to be open. So well, it's I, musical comedy. Is there a musical episode of The Office? I feel like for a while that was a staple of television. Like Buffy had a musical episode, oh, for example. What an awful Do you know how much of my life I've lied about being really into Buffy? You know, I've really for a while it was like. What'd you say? I've always known you were really into Buffy. I feel like you had come out with that by the time you were in grad school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just like, like, I find it interesting, you know, I've tried to watch it many times and I just, it just never spoke to me anyway, but I actually went to a musical show or an, like a theatrical showing of the musical episode where everybody knew every line and it was like Rocky Horror. And I just remember desperately trying to fit in with the weirdos that I had gone with. Um, and I mean that in a loving sense, like yeah, loving, yeah. wonderful weirdos um, that I also wanted to be. But they were like, of course, you know, like all of this backstory and blah, 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 and all the songs. And I was like, ah, yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, hold on, quick question. So is is Dan a person who breaks into song uh, like around the house? Like, <laughs> That's so funny. No, not really. A not a big break into song. So your house lacks joy is what you're saying. <laughs> it lacks <laughs> it lacks a lot of joy in the form of singing, certainly. So Jen is a great singer, but he doesn't he doesn't just burst into song. I, I feel like that's a kind of more of like a musical theater vibe is the break. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, yeah, he doesn't even he yeah. I think we're I think we're short on joy. <laughs> I don't know. Are you a big break into song guy? Uh, Yeah, big time. But the difference between me and Dan is that I do not have a good voice and I am not good at singing. Like I love karaoke, but I'm quite bad at it. But on the other hand, I think, or at least I like to think that my being bad, but shameless 
enables mm. other people to enjoy themselves. Uh, but I do find myself breaking into random songs about the dog or about whatever around the house. <laughs> and, and I remember like Jen telling, what did you say? You're like a Mary Poppins. Yes, yeah. Like I think about every morning I might have some sort of song and Jen confessed one time that, uh, that she really liked that, that she liked. And I think that she dated somebody before that also broke into song all the time. And uh, which made me then very self-conscious. I was like, is that what you're attracted to in me? Like, it's like, anyway, all of this is to say that uh, the Bo Burnham special is, is like not so long much- long detour. Yeah. <laughs> not so much stand-up comedy as it is like, musical musical comedy and I did not know that when I put it on and I ended up loving it and I did not know who he was apparently he's like a big deal and a YouTube sensation and whatever Mm -hmm. um and I really liked it but why did I bring it up in the first place oh yes because he has this really funny bit in the beginning about saving what does it mean to do comedy in the context of like all of the devastation of the pandemic of of um you know, racist violence and, you know, uh, fascism and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and it's this kind of satirical take on why, how comedy can change the world. But in the background, he has like um, a bunch of whiteboards where he's trying to map out what makes something funny. And one of the jokes is about a, I think he calls it like a nine season love letter to corporate labor. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody has speculated, of course, that he's talking about The Office. And I was like, that was always my reading of The Office, that it's this like love letter to corporate America. And I hope that I'm not just deluding myself by becoming a fan, but I do sort of feel like whether or not people are aware of it, it is <laughs> it is definitely criticizing um, some of those dynamics. That was a long way to go, but there it is. Yeah. Well, two things. A love whiteboards so I've got to say that's really opening it up to this, even if the singing aspect of it is kind of less of a fit for me I will try it love wait what what's the line nine season love letter to corporate labor to corporate labor no it, I am gonna firmly disagree with that reading I think that another fine another uh tagline of this podcast is going to be something along the lines of a uh nine season long critique of Bob's <laughs> claim about the office there's another strong thesis for it for us love it i love I it I love- <laughs> episode is going to give us plenty of evidence for that um before we move on and tell everybody again what our social media is and all of that can you just briefly explain your love of a whiteboard oh gosh how do i even begin well i love office supplies in general. Oh my God, this is a dimension of you I did not know. <laughs> oh, the, Tyler, there's there's so much here for you to learn. <laughs> um, so I love post-it notes in particular of oh, sure. various sizes. They are fundamental to my teaching planning, to my writing, to all of that kind of stuff. And whiteboards, they're just so smooth when you have a good marker. I become enraged with them when the marker is bad. So, you know, like when you're teaching and it's a crap marker that's dying. And so then you go open another one and that one's not working either. The worst. Then all I'm saying is I'm acknowledging there are limits to the whiteboard, but there's just something that's such a pleasure writing on that thing. It's so smooth. It comes off nicely. It just, I like writing on a big, a big surface. I like the sound and the smell, you know, the smell of the marker as it dries, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and definitely the sound. Cause like, I hate chalk because uh, for many reasons, but among it, the squeaky potential and uh, yeah. but the squeak of a white, uh, of a, of a dry erase marker on a whiteboard is just soothing to me. Nice. This is perhaps the saddest aspect of our p- fetishism. <laughs> Well, maybe there will be um, tie-ins to the office and we can we can reflect on their product line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a fact that I have lots of questions about. I'm like, what exactly are they selling? And <laughs> and I guess it's just computer paper, but like other kinds, I have lots, I, I want to see a catalog or something. Um, that would be great. We'll try, let's kind of make note of those things over the course of uh, these seasons. 
Okay. Um, well, so before we jump in, we should remind everybody. Uh, well, first, thank you for listening to this. <laughs> we appreciate you more than you know. Um, but also, you can follow us on social media. Um, so we have an Instagram, which is office underscore hours underscore podcast. And we have a Twitter, which is similar but different, office underscore HRS underscore pod. Um, so go ahead and follow us there. Uh, you know, send us a message, a comment, um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, let us know what you think. All right. Episode? Should I start with the summary? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So for today's episode, season one, episode three, healthcare. When Dwight tries to gut the company health plan, Jim thwarts his efforts by inventing creative pre-existing conditions. That is the NBC summary and covers it pretty decently. What a misleading summary though, isn't it? I think so because it is, Dwight is gutting the company health plan, but it's really the company that wants Jan and then Michael and now Dwight to cut the health plan or to gut it, right? Yes, yes, totally. This is ascribing like such individual control to Dwight. And as much as he wants that, he isn't really, you know, he he doesn't have the level, I think, of agency here that this suggests. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, Jim thwarts his efforts by inventing creative pre-existing conditions is interesting too, because it's like everybody's doing that and it doesn't really thwart anything, right? (laughs) I was very concerned. I was like, at the end of this, I was like, what is the healthcare plan? Yeah. And it's whatever Dwight ended up with. Like, I was wondering at the end, did he... So he's gone through the whole, he did the horrible initial slashing of the plan. Then once everybody reads the memo, complains about it, Michael tells him, no, you've you've got to go back and you've got to respond to this in some way and make it a little bit better. And then he's trying to figure out what are all the things that people want covered. But it seems like the idea is that he's going to go back and enhance the plan on that basis. Yes. But it sort of feels like the day ends just as that meeting is wrapping up and he maybe has not actually made the horrible, horrible plan into one that's just like kind of horrible. Yeah. So it ends without good resolution or without positive resolution, I should say. That's one thing I am like blown away by with this episode and all of them so far is like they just fucking end. You know, it's like, oh, you got to call Jam. And that's like the end of the episode, I think. And um, and again, some, you know, some have pointed out to us that there are like extended versions of these episodes, but we're not watching those yet. We're going to, if this is a massively successful podcast, <laughs> then and only then will we will we rewatch. But, um, but I mean, like, my God, like, you know, there is no resolution, you know, yeah. it's, and, 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 it, and it just ends. Oh, I mean, well, we're jumping. I'm jumping to the end. No, let's do that. Let's start from the end today because I wanted you um, as someone who has kind of avoided the office on the basis of the discomfort and awkwardness that it creates. That feels like it ends in such a heavy, awkward place. And this is where the whole the whole group is there waiting for Michael to come out of his office. He's got the blinds closed because he's been avoiding the situation and he's peering out. He comes out and they're all waiting, um, you know, to find out, first of all, is anything going to be different about the healthcare plan? We find out then, no, it isn't. Mm-hmm. And then second, what is the surprise? Because Michael has promised that by the end of the day, there is going to be some big surprise that's supposed to kind of make things feel better in some way. And then describe, like, describe what, what do you see kind of happening then after that once they're. It's just, it was just excruciating, you know, I mean, like, first, I love that uh, one of my favorite scenes and like Stanley was really interesting in this episode because like Stanley laughs really loud at one point. And I don't know if we've seen him like laugh yet, but then 
when Michael shows up with ice cream sandwiches, he's like, this isn't the surprise, right? And he's like, of course not, you know, but like it will, you know, you will be surprised when it happens. And then we get to see a shot of Michael, like eating all of the ice cream sandwiches in his office, (laughs) just in like, you know, shame and like anxiety that he can't think his way out of this, (laughs) this solution. And uh, relatable moment of the show. Yeah, that was really. I suddenly was like, oh, I feel for him, even though, and maybe that's the, you know, criticism or whatever is like, I shouldn't be feeling for him. But still, what is so like excruciating to me is his desire, of course, to like please all of them and the impossibility of him being able to do that. And so, Um, I'm just, you know, part of what, part of what is so interesting and excruciating about the show is when silence happens. Mm -hmm. And I kept paying attention to like, when silence occurs, it's like never fully silent. There's often the phone ringing in the background, or we hear the hum of the AC, you know? Um, but, uh, when he, he, he's like, he has, he does a drum roll, right? And then like, they cut to him being like, oh, I thrive in these moments. I'm so good at improv or whatever. Uh-huh. And then he just has, then nothing, just nothing. And then they slowly walk away and nobody says anything. <laughs> and I get, I just was like, I thought that that was actually like really brilliant, you know, how it used silence here. But um, yeah, that was my, like this week's making my skin crawl was that whole interaction. I don't know. What were you thinking in those moments? I was feeling, like you said, with the ice cream sandwiches, I have to say, I really felt a lot for Michael at that point. And I know this thing is horrible for everyone, but I really did feel for Michael in that because it's like, he's waiting in his improv mode. He's waiting for that thing to come. You can feel him just, it it seems like he thinks He's like, just, you know, give it another minute. Like, it's going to come to me. It's going to come to me. And it just never comes. And I love, too, the way that that silence is spliced in. Like you said, with the kind of interview where he's talking about how much he loves improv. And he says, when I'm backed into a corner, that's when I come alive. Yeah. See, learned improv from the greats, like Drew Carey and Ryan Stiles. And then it goes back, I think, to the awkwardness. And then he says, Robin Williams, oh man, would I love to go head to head with him. And that idea of going head to head with a sort of great improviser. We just see two of these parallel tracks of the way that he, he talks about himself and the image that he's sort of creating. And then the poor guy just cannot, cannot pull through. But you're like, I find myself hoping that the improv inspiration will will strike and bring him out but well it does go back to our whole kind of like uh reading especially in the first episode but also in the last one where like he wants to be a comedian and in some way the show seems to be like about a certain type of um bad (laughs) guy who, who bad jokester you know who thinks he knows what good comedy is but is terrible at comedy so I keep thinking of it as this like meta commentary on improv you know and I'm sure that there are people in improv like Michael I keep thinking too about how like the show really shows us like what narcissism what it feels like to be around a narcissist all the time and I keep thinking like is is Michael like of course by definition I think Michael is a narcissist but he seems to have like these moments of self-awareness that I imagine other narcissists don't. Mm-hmm. Um, like he is occasionally confronted with reality in ways that force him to alter his mm-hmm. description of things. But the the episode begins with him forcing Pam to re to to retell him messages, yes. right? And she's like, "So you want me to just do it all over again?" And it really cements that, like, okay, he is always acting for us. Like whatever we see is this act. But it's like actually also an act for himself. Like he really does believe that he's like a good improviser that he can come up with, you know. Um, and uh, and maybe you know, I mean, I, like the the a certain version of a Marxist critique would basically say, well, the whole problem with the show is right here that like we feel sympathy for the for the boss rather than the workers. But like another way to read it, or I mean, in addition to that, would be that like he he actually takes seriously all of the bullshit promises of 
the company. He's like, these are my family and I provide for them. And like, so he he gives them the best plan. He's like, it's the gold plan. And Jan is like, even I don't have that plan. (laughs) And he's like, well, you should really look at it. (laughs) And then it's like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. So, you know, he like actually wants to take care of them in a way that a company like theoretically should. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's so important for getting at those questions we've sort of been thinking about, like whether Michael is a good boss and good employee in yeah. some ways, or is he just, you know, irredeemably bad? Um, how does power work in the show? Like what kind of power does he have or not have? And here, yeah. He's the boss, but I think he really doesn't have it. I mean, he certainly doesn't own the means of production or right, like have that level of right. control over the system. And one of the things that I was really struck by is how he fundamentally misunderstands the intent of the company and the way that it works. Yeah. And he thinks he thinks he has more. Um, choice in the beginning. I feel like the fact that he gets to pick the healthcare plan sort of presents this illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, oh, I'm going to really take this seriously. What is it he says about the um, the workers? He says, the most sacred thing I do is care and provide for my workers, my family. He goes on, I'm cutting out a couple parts. I heal them. Today I'm in charge of picking a great new healthcare plan. Does that make me their doctor? Um, yes, in a way, like a specialist. <laughs> and at that point, he's so hopeful, I think. And on the one hand, yeah, I think he, he wants to present himself well to the camera. But I also think that he would love to give these people a great healthcare plan. And he thinks at this point, like he has bought into it. He thinks that he's actually going to be able to do that until... As you mentioned, Jan comes in and says, even I don't have the gold plan. You can't pick the gold plan. Right, right. She says, you know, the whole reason we're doing this is to save money. So you just need to pick a provider and choose the cheapest plan, you know? So it's not even really like a, a decision, you know? It's just like, go right. with that. And I love how he um is like, well, that's a tough assignment. It's a suicide mission. Yes. You know, he, he, he throughout the episode, he actually invokes... Um, like militaristic language a ton, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And when, <laughs> what I really love in that line is like, does that make me their doctor? Um, yes, in a way. <laughs> like on the one hand, it is his totally self-aggrandizing narcissism that makes him enjoy the idea that they are his family, but also he's in charge of them. He's the caretaker. Like he has to be special and important mm-hmm. and liked. He has to have everything. Yeah. On the other hand, it is also kind of true that like, you know, despite what um, American capitalism and the insurance industry say, like your, your, your job really does choose your doctors, right? Like we don't have unfettered choice. Yeah. Um, and instead, you know, if you're lucky to have insurance at all, it's going to be subject to whatever, you know, provider the company has, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this whole idea that we get to choose our doctor as opposed to socialized medicine is like, Michael is like, no, I am your doctor. (laughs) And then Dwight will be like, you know, he (laughs) basically determining what is or is not a condition. This reminded me, by the way, just a quick detour of how upset I was when, okay, so at my school, when we were coming back in the fall for coronavirus, um, or you know, it was like the, the the first semester, sort of back mm-hmm. after you know um, coronavirus had emerged, really, and uh, the the administration said basically like some people can teach uh, remotely and others will be in the classroom, and um, the way this will be decided is by HR, like HR will determine this, and. I and a number of faculty were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like HR is not a doctor, you know? And the response from HR is like, well, we're gonna make our decisions on the basis of the CDC. And we were like, but the CDC is politicized in this moment. And also like if the university is saying as they did that every department needed to have at least 60% of the faculty, I think in person or something like that, 
then regardless of whatever, uh, like that calculus is going to trump any number of other considerations. And, um, and I just remember being like, oh, right. Yeah. HR isn't your friend. Like, <laughs> which is, which maybe goes back to why is Toby, why does everybody hate Toby? I don't, I still don't get it. But anyway, all of that is to say, I, I really laughed when Michael was like, I am their doctor. And Dwight is like, yep, I'm going to play, you know, insurance um, uh, decider or whatever. Yeah. That's so interesting. The extent to which your medical information and care and all of that becomes so entangled with work. You're right, like both in actual life and the way that it's depicted in the show. Yeah, and and um, I don't know, something about that. Uh, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. Something about that is like, I felt like the show was getting getting at something there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, but also <laughs> one of my all-time favorite jokes, uh, I have a few, but one of them was totally in this scene between Michael and Jan. Mm-hmm. So she says, sometimes a manager like yourself has to deliver the bad news to the employees. I do it all the time. And he's like dismissive and says, when have you ever done that? And she's like, I'm doing it right now to you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was dying. I just love that kind of joke when a person says like, no, 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 the thing you're describing is happening right now in this moment. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so much. I find that really funny. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I really enjoy that moment too. I don't really actually have any good ideas about why, <laughs> but yeah, it is it is fantastic. Let me get your take on Jim in this episode since he is our, I mean, we'll get around to Dwight, but what was your take on Jim uh, in general in this episode? So I guess our big, I don't know, kind of pivot point with Jim is when he first... He's the first one that Michael goes to. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, yeah, I forgot. Right, that I, Michael decides that he, when he decides it's a suicide mission and that it's not going to be a popular decision, he decides to delegate it, leadership. Um, and he brings Jim into his office and Jim does the thing which he then in the interview explains to us as kind of a general strategy that whenever Michael wants him to do something, he'll say, you know, this isn't something I'm going to do, but you know, who would be perfect for this is Dwight. And so I think this episode then really gives us this stark contrast between Jim in his refusal to do this. And then Dwight who comes in and immediately when uh, Michael asks him to do it, he like immediately is reaching over the desk. He's grabbing the um, books and he's just so on board. So it's something about, you know, Jim wants to not kind of not do a whole lot, not have responsibility. And Dwight really wants to have power. Right. And so he gets it. And we could wonder then, you know, would things have turned out better if Jim had just done this? Like, this is a really critical, critical decision for the company and for the employees. And Pam at one point says to Dwight, you work here too. Don't you want a good healthcare plan? Yes. Jim works there too. If he wants a good healthcare plan, he should know that survivalist Dwight, and we can talk about his whole theory of healthcare, um, but it's not the person to do it. I think I hate Jim. Uh... And I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time unpacking why. Um, yeah, I'm no, open to that argument. No, I don't hate him, but I don't know. I mean, I, I know the show aligns us with him. And so maybe I'm just like resistant to that. But you're hitting on exactly what my question was. It's like, okay, what would have happened if Jim said yes and just did it? You know, and it's like, instead of doing that, he spends his entire day like fighting with Dwight. So it's almost like he wants to be in a position of powerlessness, even though he claims to want Dwight to make a decision that would benefit him. And the problem with Dwight is that, at least in this episode, he's this kind of libertarian, right? He's like, you know, how many people can I fire? And what does he say? 
in response. Basically, like, I don't get sick and... what does he say? Uh, I'm never perfect immune system. I have superior brain power, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff, like, yeah. but this kind of radical individualism or something like that. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. But yeah, I was like, okay, you know, the reason Jim is so relatable and so um, the heart of the show is because he is, has this kind of almost 90 slacker vibe. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and we all hate being stuck in these kinds of jobs and these kinds of situations. So he says, and to me, I felt like this was a whole thesis of the show in a way. He's like, right now, this is just, just a job. If I advance any higher in this company, then this would be my career. And uh, well, if this were my career, I'd have to throw myself in front of a train. <laughs> and uh, and I cracked up and I was like, yeah, like this, this is terrible. So, but like, if he participate, like I, this is like the, the problem, not only of the show, but like of our theories of power. I sometimes think I'm like, okay, so let's say he tries to make a better decision than Dwight. Is he just going to be like, um, Michael, you know, like, will, is it just, you know, like going to be like, well, you can't do that because you're being too generous. And so, you know, does the position turn you into a certain kind of person or is a certain kind of person attracted to a particular position and can, one make a difference like it does feel like the stakes are really high and yet also nobody can change anything and no no Mm -hmm. differences can be made so it makes sense for Jim to just be like well fuck it um but I don't know that I I don't uh. yeah there's it feels like there's sort of this paradox maybe of getting some power because there are so many limits like there's such a low ceiling on it yeah the person who does it has, you know, does get to sort of choose a plan, but it's got to be the cheapest plan that there is from one of the providers. Right. It's not going to be good. So it's sort of about then choosing between something that is terrible and something that's a little bit less terrible. Like Dwight can make it worse. So it can be pulled down, but it can't be made great. There's right. no wonderful possible outcome there's no there's nothing big to aspire to and so there's that question I think which is maybe the the gym question is what do you do in that kind of position because your circumstances and the circumstances for the people in the company will probably be a little bit less bad if you stand up and you know do that work but it's not going to be great. And you're also going to be in the terrible position then of being the person who has to give them, you know, the moderately shitty plan. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, this is what, to go back to your claim that this is the great American story. I'm like, yeah, this is like, it's pretty revelatory about Mm -hmm. like, what are not only like, what are the um, kind of um, like actual possibilities for agency within the structure of corporate capitalism or capitalism in general, but also like, what are the narrative trajectories that you can have? You know, so Jim's like, I could become like Michael. No, like I could be like, like the reason Dwight is so terrible from his perspective is that he takes the job seriously. And like to take it seriously (laughs) is to miss the point in a way. Um, And even Jan doesn't seem to take it seriously, you know, or she's at least not enamored by, it and doesn't see herself outside of it she's like I don't have that plan I also have to deliver terrible news I don't want to do this either like everybody is just like forced to I guess this is the nature of wage labor um as you said they don't own the means of production but um is Jane more pragmatic then would you say and Michael is more idealist where she's like this is the situation that we're working in these are the constraints so just pick something and let's do it right and Michael so badly wants the ideal that he just falls apart. Like he can't even do the pragmatic thing that he has to do. No, but what he does do, I love, which is um, which reveals like Michael's clever cleverness in a way. Um, but he gives it to Dwight, and he says, "If Dwight fails, then that is strike two, and good for me for uh, for giving him a second chance." And and if he succeeds, then, you know, no one will be prouder than I am. I groomed him. I made him what he is today, unless he fails. And we've talked about that already. (laughs) So it's like, you know, like 
yeah, like success will look good, you know, for him and failure he can punish and separate himself from. And that's why he's hiding in his office, right? Um, yeah. So he does have some strategy there. Let's, so I liked your, your idea about um, the kind of narrative trajectories that people use, that like we the way that we tell stories about ourselves and kind of who we are and who we could be and what that means in terms of the choices that we make. And I wanna talk about how that applies more to Dwight. Yes. And you already brought up some of the examples of the way that he talks about healthcare and about his own immune system, <laughs> his ability to raise and lower his cholesterol at will. And I think you described it as being like radi a radical individualist, something like that. Yeah. I wanna talk about my favorite quote from I think I know what it is I hope it's what I think it is. episode and this is Dwight's um kind of rationale and his explanation yes. of what he what he's done with the healthcare plan yes yes Dwight says what did I do yes I did job I slashed benefits to the bone I saved this company money was I too harsh maybe but I don't believe in coddling people okay let me pause we got to break this down we got to read this quote in two parts there's more but the first part, Dwight is um, great for the company in some way here. He's doing, like, he gets it. Michael doesn't get the purpose of this exercise. Dwight completely gets it. He's saving the company money and he has no other concerns. I'll continue the quote. <laughs> hear what you think. Um, in the wild, there is no healthcare. In the wild, healthcare is, ow. I hurt my leg, I can't run, the lion eats me, and I'm dead. No, I'm not dead. I'm the lion, you're dead. <laughs> so what kind of story does Dwight tell about himself? I mean, well, I just the delivery of that whole thing kills me, you know? I'm not dead, I'm the lion, you're dead. <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, um, but I guess, you know, he, you know, thinks of himself, like, I guess that's why I was thinking of it as a kind of libertarian mm -hmm. ideology, you know, where it's like, you know, loves to plunge, loves to fantasize that there is no society. In fact, we are all just predator or prey. We are all, um, you know, uh, survival of the fittest essentially. And so, uh, people don't deserve healthcare or whatever, you know, they, he sees healthcare as like a, um, as a benefit, as a, as a, uh, what, you know, an entitlement or something rather than um, something that everybody is actually uh, entitled to. And um, by not only by virtue of their work, but also by being a member of society. <laughs> so anyway, I just, I thought he, that whole thing was like, hilarious and also a beautiful distillation of a certain, you know, um, logic that would cut any possible social service yeah. as much as possible. And I mean, it's only a little bit, he's not articulating it, but I mean, the kind of radical capitalist version of this would be to say, well, you have to do that to keep people hungry, to make the whole system um, efficient and efficiency produces better X, you know, better products, better, uh, better services, better people or whatever. And like, obviously I don't think that that's true, <laughs> but to be fair, neither does Dwight. Like Dwight's like, you know, sees it just as uh, I'm going to eat you. You're going to die. You know? <laughs> um, and maybe you deserve to, or something. I don't know. That's as much as I've got. What do you think? Yeah. That I think you described it as a, a sort of survival of the fittest mentality. And I think that that's right. And it, one of the things it showed me in what he says, I think, is how much the image that you have of yourself in that survival of the fittest story shapes your view of the social yeah. and of kind of what the social contract or I guess like social obligations are the idea of, you know, whether you are solely responsible to yourself or to distribute that in some way among other people. And you just got me thinking about the way that he, he lands on himself being the lion and eating the other person. So in the first, 
I guess part of the idea that, you know, we shouldn't have, that we should not have healthcare, that this is not something that needs to be provided for us, that like in nature, we should just fight and struggle. And if we can survive, we'll survive. And if we can't, we can't. Part of it is that you have to accept that you might be one of the ones that gets eaten by the lion. Right. So the first part of a story, right? The like, ow, I hurt my leg. I die in the forest. He then ultimately to justify himself, it's like he has to do the turn though. You have to, you have to think of yourself as the lion. Yes. You're okay with that kind of system. You can't think of yourself as the one whose leg is going to get gnawed off and then is going to bleed out. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really buy that. I think that that is so smart and also explains to me, I mean, this is a thing when I teach like my horror film class mm-hmm. and we talk about zombie movies, I'm always like, why did, why would, you know, I think it's just by virtue of the genre itself, but, um, and its ideology. But like when we watch those movies, we never identify with the zombie, right? We identify with the like three survivors, right? But like most likely in the zombie apocalypse, you're not going to be one of the survivors. (laughs) Even just statistically, you're going to be one of the uh, (laughs) roving hordes or whatever. So whatever delight you take in the fantasy of blowing away countless people with guns and ammo, you know, it's like on some level you must... You must, you know, the genre itself wants you to recognize that like, you too will become, you know, that abject yeah. flesh. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, but we don't watch it. You're at least, you know, I think there are, I would make it, if we had a whole horror podcast, I would make the case that there are some zombie films that hammer home <laughs> that point and other ones that are like, that want you to enjoy in the fantasy that you would be the one to survive and everybody else wouldn't. Um, but you're so right. And I do, I mean, it would be fun to think about fun. I don't know. It would be devastating to think about how (laughs) that plays out in like narratives of people who refuse the vaccine, for example, Mm -hmm. but who got COVID like, do they, do they actually change their point of view about the world or do they be like, yeah, no, this is like a totally just, (laughs) situation that is a consequence of my vision of society (laughs) or are they like no I was tricked I should have gotten the vaccine (laughs) like whoops you know I don't know yeah is that actually why Jim is maybe kind of the worst in this episode right like you know he's being funny in all of his his lists of his pre-existing conditions um that are completely made up but and in his kind of like egging on you know so so his are like leprosy right and things that are real real illnesses but that we know he doesn't have and then there are pams that are just completely made up and ridiculous and is it just that he there are other people in the office who actually have things that they do want covered He's upset about having it ultimately be a bad plan, but is it that he just, you know, is young and is healthy at this point, and so right. he doesn't need it and doesn't have to care that much? Yeah, that's. I thought it was very interesting. Like the, you know, the Kevin moment with anal fissures is like so, yeah. <laughs> you know, skin crawly, whatever. Because it's like you know, he's forced to disclose, but he can't <laughs> disclose because it's so embarrassing yeah. or whatever, you know to the rest of the office. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wondered that as well, kind of like, okay, so if Jim had a disability or he had some chronic illness or whatever, like would his point of view be very different? I mean, of course, I think, I feel like you and I want to rewrite the episode so that somebody like Jim would essentially like try to subvert the process in some way to like come up with a plan that would squeak through the sensors, you know, in enough to cover everybody. And in theory, I suppose that's what Dwight starts to do. He's like, okay, I'll cut as much as possible, but now I'm going to cover everything that you want. And I, I mean, I get that, um, why Jim and the others are mocking that because it's like, well, first it still puts all of the power in your hands and it still means that some things won't be covered. Like there's this kind of, I don't know, um, there's something very funny and ridiculous about like the about how how certain things are covered and certain things aren't right like mm-hmm. like or the way that like pregnancy for example is covered as like 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 an illness or something under a lot of things <laughs> right um, 
And I also love that moment where it's like Dwight's positioning as a man is, you know, he can't understand what, the hysterectomy? what, a, what a vagina, what a vagina is. Yeah. What a hysterectomy is. And it, he's like inverted penis. And then Meredith's like, uh, do you mean a vagina? <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, like, isn't that kind of like, you know, the insurance company being like, eh, we won't cover <laughs> these, like, women's problems or whatever. Yes. <laughs> it's Dwight making those kinds of decisions. Um, yeah. A quick detour about Jim, though. What did you think of his hair in this episode? His and Michael's hair really stood out to me. Ooh, this is a great question because there are some episodes where I have really strong, particular feelings about Jim's hair and I like am distracted by it. But this time I wasn't. I don't have a memory of it. I mean, Michael's this time was pretty well, like the real slicked back. It's slicked back. And there's the sun thinning in the front so you yeah. can kind of see through. Yeah. That's the thing about slicking back your hair is that it, it like, hold, when it holds things together, it also shows like the spaces between the trees. Yeah, I, it's not a good look. I mean, I definitely feel like it's a certain kind of, corporate manager look um and inappropriate to me it really it feels like a good look for him yeah <laughs> for Jim his hair was like a real messy mop this time and uh I was wondering if we were going for some sort of like early Bieber vibes or <laughs> something it was just a real mop yeah. top I and but I mean I do we have kind of talked about their anti-aesthetic like a lot of these people look like real people and I enjoy that um but anyway, yeah. Um, I think it kind of goes to with what you said, some of his kind of 90s slacker vibe. Mm. Um, you know, that like when you're cool and you don't really care about your job that much, you also don't really care about your hair that much. And, right. you know, so like you wouldn't take the time to gel his hair like Michael does <laughs> or cut it. Or yeah, what about... Um... Michael's subplot is to try to come up with a surprise. And I was kind of curious what you thought about that. I did, I'll just mention the part that I loved, which was, do I know what the surprise is? Hell no, it doesn't matter. The point is they're not unhappy anymore. They're out there thinking, wow, my boss really cares about me. He has a surprise. He's cool. What a great guy. I love him. I love him. <laughs> It's so embarrassing, like rereading these lines on the podcast because it's like we cannot do justice to how great, yeah, yeah, the, the reading is. And in fact, by reading them, I feel like we demonstrate how important the acting is. But I just love, <laughs> love that moment where he's like, just he so desperately wants them to love him, love, love, love him. Anyway, but yeah, what did you think of his his various attempts at surprises? <laughs> I I really do like that part um because it kind of shows us something about yeah his his motivation behind it and he he wants to make people happy and also how central it is being loved in that and i think it connects to things we've talked about in his um you had used and had a long discussion about pathetic and kind of how you take pathetic as being not you know right like kind of sad and needy maybe in some way but not being something to like not being a negative not taking yeah. it necessarily negative right I think that we see that here in him that it is his insecurity and here's here's the part that we are very attracted to the insecurity yeah he wants he wants them to love him and I feel like in that interview as he's explaining it it sort of comes together for him over the course of it in the way that you read it, you know, was the way that he does say it, where he kind of gives emphasis to that. I love him. It feels like he almost realizes the power, the potential power of this surprise. Yeah, yeah. What it can do for him. Totally. Um, and at that point, he, you know, he thinks he's gonna he's gonna improv, improv it into an actual um, good surprise. But I don't know. Yeah, we're just left with that sad hope and then no one loves him oh, at the end actually wow how disappointing <laughs> he thought you know it was a suicide he thought it was going to be a suicide mission to pick a bad healthcare plan but he ended up having everyone hate him 
at the end anyway and deeply disappointing yeah. everyone with his failed surprise. Yeah, it's like he can't help but reproduce the the <laughs> or double the failure, right? Like yeah. double disappoint them. <laughs> like yeah. Because he could have just stayed out of it, you know, but instead he has to promise this other thing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very funny that he goes to the travel agent and it's basically like, I want a free weekend (laughs) in Atlantic City. (laughs) You know, where they comp everything and they give you a free bus. And it's like, that's not a thing. Like, I don't know if he's thinking, like, why would he think that's a thing? Is that like from movies he thinks that or what? Like, or does he sort of think, maybe I can talk my way into this. Oh, yeah. Like sell my way into it. This is a very random note, but something I thought was hilarious was the bottle of lotion on the travel agent's desk. What was it? I didn't notice. It was just some random bottle of lotion, but I just thought that was a really funny thing. I don't know why. This is probably the stupidest comment, (laughs) but there's just something like, Oh yeah, that's a thing that people have on their desks sometimes in the winter. And like this guy must have really dry hands. And I don't know why, but it just, it seemed like it showed to me the choice that has to go into all of the things that they put in front of the camera Mm. and how um, there's, I don't know, just so much creativity, I think, in some of that and attention to detail. And the lotion bottle felt like one of those things to me. One other thought I'll say about the surprise is it felt like one of those, um, I wondered if this was also sort of part of corporate culture. It felt sort of like one of those company moves where they give you something else to kind of appease the workers. Yes. And sometimes things that are, sort of little like maybe not ice cream sandwich level but that are another surprise can ease the pain of losing your health care plan or losing yeah. the pain of having it get worse and it reminded me of at my school when they downgraded our health care plan and then we all got fitbits oh my god <laughs> no it's like we switched to this other plan and it's not as good of a plan and then there was this this email like okay so well the cool thing about this plan is everybody gets a free Fitbit. No. And the funny thing is, at first I was like, no, I don't really need that. And then I decided, no, why not? I'm going to, I'm going to take it. And then I kind of got into it. I was like, oh, I'm actually going to upgrade a little bit and get the one that takes my heart rate. Like this (laughs) is cool. I really like this. And you know, the $65 Fitbit is not worth, it's not compensated in any way for those changes. But at the same time, I cruise around with that thing and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling good about this. Now is the idea that that Fitbit is like sending the data on your health to the health insurance company or no? I think the idea is just like, it doesn't, it doesn't send it. It doesn't connect to um, the, to the healthcare company. I think it's the idea is like, you know, it's, it's inspiration right. to be working out and then ultimately to cost the insurance company less. Right. <laughs> Right, right, right. Oh my God. That is, that is an incredible example. And like, exactly, you're totally right. Like that's part of what he's doing. Part of what this episode is doing is trying to be like, okay, you know, how to distract them from the thing. Yeah. Um, My favorite detail was the uh, um, Lackawanna County coal mine, historical coal mine. (laughs) And uh, uh on the one hand, I, I thought, I was like, I don't know whether they were doing this on purpose or not, but it is a great um, juxtaposition of like a kind of white collar corporate um, labor with a working class blue collar job that has probably been wiped out. Like the coal industry in Scranton, I don't know if that still exists or if it's just been rendered a relic of, you know, um, post-industrialization or something but either way the coal mine is now not an active coal mine but like a museum and so he wants to take his workers to a former place of work that's now been turned into a 
I don't know what, you know, a museum of something or some sort. And then, but to give them a thrill. And I just thought that it was so funny because he's like, it's a 300 foot drop. And he's like, it goes 300 feet into the earth, but it moves really slowly. <laughs> so it's not a free fall. It's an industrial coal elevator. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, once you get down into that mine, what you got laser tag or something? <laughs> And I just thought, I don't know, I mean, like, as a, as a, as a image of, like, how capitalism keeps reorganizing uh, all social life, you know, in, a, in devastating ways, like, I thought that, and, and then also, but not in any way that produces less work or less exploitation, I just thought it was a really pointed and clever, but also just wouldn't it be really funny if he did take them there and then they rode down really slowly <laughs> to a coal mine, just like how miserable and yes. dark and cold and like, yeah, just awful a trip that would be. <laughs> I think that that is a fan fiction short story for you to write, Tyler. Dude, I do you think that there is office fan fiction? That is a great question and something that we need to research maybe our listeners i feel like you've got some good i feel like you've got some good ideas so i'll say that i promised at the beginning of this episode to start a timer didn't actually do that i failed but we are nearing i believe if i'm estimating correctly we are nearing our hour i have one more thing i wanted to talk about but did you have other no i'm good i'm ready i'm ready to go Okay, well, so then let me do um, one other visual detail. And that is the mission statement poster that is in the background when White, Dwight, oh my God, and we haven't even talked about the office versus temporary workspace thing. (laughs) We'll get to that. It's in his temporary workspace. And there's this poster back in the corner that says it's the Dunder Mifflin mission statement. And it's real, it's far enough back that it's really hard to read on the screen, but I looked it up, this is what it says. So let me read the Dunder Mifflin mission statement, which is interesting too, as kind of a piece of text within this room that's filled with the healthcare books and all of Dwight's notes that he's taking about making this healthcare plan. Anyway, that's the context. So here's the mission statement. Dunder Mifflin Incorporated provides its customers quality office and information technology products, furniture, printing values, and the expertise required for making informed buying decisions. We provide our products and services with a dedication to the highest degree of integrity and quality of customer satisfaction, developing long-term professional relationships with employees that develop pride, creating a stable working environment and company spirit. (laughs) And I bet that reading that out loud it's completely incomprehensible. Meaningless, right? Like meaningless. It is like one of the most um, awful pieces of writing. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of feels like it throws out kind of company, like business jargon, you know, information technology products, like the kind of thing where you're trying like reaching a little bit too far in the writing. Um, And it just, it feels like it's trying to say a lot of things without ending up saying anything. And I just enjoy it sitting, sitting back there reminding us that the goal is to develop pride, creating a stable working environment and company spirit as Dwight slashes the company to pieces. Yes, yes. I mean, first, yeah, I, I haven't, you're really opening my eyes here to, to so many details I hadn't even thought of. Um, I didn't even notice this in the scene, but like, yeah, who wrote this and why? <laughs> like, why does the company need a mission statement in the first place? And like, this is a thing I feel frequently with like, I don't know, bureaucratic writing is I'm like, does anybody read any of this? Like, and do people actually take any of this seriously? Because when I, when I try to read it or when I start to listen to it, my brain just shuts off. So I sometimes assume that's the point is just to shut off any thinking, but like, you know, I, I mean, like I've read so many like college excellence statements, you know, and things like that. And I'm like, okay, people are in earnest when they write this, 
but I don't know. There's this part of it too, where I'm like, when, when would it ever matter? Like, or to whom would it matter? Um, what you've said here. But anyway, the other thing is the word quality I'm noticing repeats at least twice, right? Quality <laughs> office products and quality of customer satisfaction. Um, you know, just this like insistence on quality, but of what, you know, like, what does that yeah. even mean here? Um, yeah. Long-term professional relationships with employees that develop pride. (laughs) (laughs) Pride for whom? (laughs) Or in what what sense are you proud of your work or Uh proud of the relationship being long-term? Like um, creating a stable working environment and companies. Oh my God, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, you know, if you've got a mission that gives you some clear sense of your goals and of your principles so that if you're at a fork in the road where you need to make a decision it can help guide you but this thing it doesn't like it doesn't provide any clear sense of mission actually right that might help them when they are say it's like it's they're reminding Dwight of the mission of the company while I don't know I don't even know I would also wait. Do they actually sell furniture? No, they don't. <laughs> I thought they only sold paper. <laughs> so they sell, and I think that they sell more. It seems it's definitely mostly paper. Do they sell? They seem to sell some other office products, right? But not furniture, as far as I've ever heard it referenced. And the other funny thing is that they. Um, so, okay, so <laughs> quality office and information technology products. What does that mean, information technology products? That feels like when someone is wants to say computers, but they're like, I'm yeah. trying to say, can I, can I say it in a more fancy way? Can I say yeah. it in an A-level way? Like information technology. Is products. that what the digital humanities are? It's just computers. <laughs> okay. But we can't say that. <laughs> We can't say that, but it's a great, a great question. <laughs> um, but they, one of the other things I noticed in the episode today is that they have a bunch of Staples products oh. in the office, and that's supposed to be their competitor. Oh, that's amazing! Is that it's the big box stores are right. pushing them out of business, and this is why they have to be, why they're at risk of downsizing, and why they have to yes. cut down the healthcare plan, and all of this is because of companies like Staples. And there's this shot where you can see that on that their supply shelf, they've got things in staples boxes. That's so amazing. it's just kind of kind of a fun fun fact. I mean, it definitely undermines, like if you wanted to have a reading of the show, which I don't think the show allows, but if you wanted to be like, oh, it's so unfortunate that like Staples or Walmart or whomever, you know, um, undermines quote yeah. unquote mom and pop shops um how sad that is because they are actually more you know better for the community and implicitly better for workers but this show is like um it's not all that different from the mom you know and in fact it's just as soul crushing exploitative and um subject to the whims of the market or capital or whatever um yeah but also they don't use the oxford comma in this list and it really pisses me off (laughs) So what is, do we agree on this or is this Oxford comma? Do we agree that we should have Oxford commas or are you, are you a rebel? What do you think? Oh, I'm totally, I'm totally for them. Do you want, do you want to explain what they are? Yeah. So it'd be like in a list. um, uh, And like, for example, this one products, furniture, printing values, and the expertise required for making informed buying decisions. There should be Megan and I believe a comma (laughs) betwixt printing values Twixt. and the word and but there is none mm-hmm. uh so yeah that would be and it's I, I you know it's like an un, quote-unquote unnecessary comma um but i i frankly like it you know because sometimes my eyes are gliding along and i'm like wait is that and part of the word preceding it uh or exactly. is it a separate part is of the list going to be an item in the list or are these separate right. items in the list and this and signals that it's going to be the end of the list. Yeah, yeah, exactly, precisely. I'm now concerned that we've lost all <laughs> listeners. But you know, whatever. I think 
we have a very narrow target market. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> you know, they stay right for yourself, you know, and that's we've taken that to heart. <laughs> we really have. Um, you know, missing in the market of people talking <laughs> about the office. And I think the grammar of the mission statement. Is- <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to shut us down by turning to our dundies of the week. So Tyler, who earns your dundee of the week and why? Uh, well, it was a toss up between two of them. Um, and I wonder as, as we move along, will people be able to sort of see my, um, you know, the method of my madness with my dundies, but, uh, but we'll see. Anyway, my, I'm going to give it to, uh, the travel agent, um, (laughs) who, uh, Michael asks, you know, and I just love when he says, I don't know anything like that, but, um, you know, what you might do is, is just call those <laughs> casinos directly, uh, maybe, you know, and Michael's like, yeah, 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 I did. So whatever. But I just thought that travel agent's response was hilarious, beautifully executed. Like that person came through in their one scene and they did it. Um, but also as a way of managing somebody telling you something truly insane, <laughs> I thought I was like, what a beautiful way of just being like, oh yeah, you should do this. Uh, yeah. So it goes to that guy. That is great. What an excellent social skill he demonstrates there. And, and in doing it then in a very kind way, being like, no, this is preposterous. This is not something that they do. Just saying, you know what a good idea would be to pursue this yourself, to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a really good one. Um, this week, I'm going to give my Dundee to Michael Scott. And Whoa! <laughs> Great intentions, despite terrible leadership award, because Michael does not do a good job in this in this episode. He does not execute things well, but we really do see, I think, that he wants them to have a great healthcare plan, and I appreciated those intentions below, <laughs> swirling around. I'm realizing I need to, okay, in the future with my Dundies, I'm going to, I need to name them or something, right? It has to be for a particular thing. So it can't just be like, oh, I like this person or thing, right? I need to, yeah, I'm going to work on my Dundee-ing, ing, Dundee-ing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You can give it a name if you, if you, if you want to, but it feels like yours also did have a very, you had a person and you had a very clear purpose. So, so I felt that he, he earned it well. I think that was well justified. Fair enough. Um, well, anything we need to say to our listeners before we uh, bid them adieu? Only thank you for listening. And if you made it through the mission statement discussion, well done. Yeah, you're our kind of people. <laughs> you are our kind of people. There are four of us in the world. <laughs> yeah. Next week uh, or next or next episode, I should say, we will be talking about episode four, The Alliance. Yes. So looking forward to it. All right. Well, this has been uh, Tyler and Megan, and we will see you soon. Thanks.